Good morning. Merry Christmas. I get the privilege of being the second, as Billy last week took the honor of wishing everyone a Merry Christmas first. Uh, This morning, we're continuing our Advent series that Pastor Billy started us off last week. And Advent is all about a coming. It's It's the expectation, the coming of one who was promised. Last week, Pastor Billy talked to us about hope, and today we will focus on the next theme, which is joy. And of all the themes of Advent, hope, joy, peace, love, joy seems to be the one most associated with the Christmas season. Just as an exercise, how many of you, if you've already decorated at home, you already have your things, how many of you can think of, or maybe you haven't, but you still have some things, can think of a specific decoration or card with the word joy on it? Just by a show of hands, how many of you can just think, yep, I have something at home with the word joy on it? How many of you can think of a Christmas song that talks about joy? Think it's pretty easy. How many of us, what what is our desire when we are looking for that perfect gift to give someone, what are we hoping that that produces in their life? Joy. Hopefully they also know that we love them. There's elements of that, but we really want them to have joy. What are we wanting when we get that perfect gift? What do we want from that? Joy. If you were to ask the kids, if you were to ask children, what, if, here are the, the words we're going to talk about this Christmas season, hope, joy, peace, love. What do you think is the word they're going to think of most when they're thinking about Christmas? Oh, I just wake up on Christmas morning feeling so much peace. That's not what they're thinking. They're thinking about joy. The apparent reality is that when we're looking at this season is that joy is everywhere. But if joy is everywhere, why does it seem so hard to find and so easy to lose? If joy is everywhere all the places that we're looking during this Christmas season, why does it seem like joy is so hard for me to find and so easy for me to lose? See, when I was a kid, joy was easy to find. I literally would make a list. This is what's going to give me joy. And yet even as a child, the newness of toys quickly wore out. That that newfound joy quickly gained, quickly lost. As I've grown older, it's actually become more difficult, though, to find that joy. The, The season that was so easily just associated with, no, this is a season of joy, now has other associations with it. It's not just all sweetness. There's some bitterness. Josiah, was, as he was introducing one of our songs, talked about it, that there's elements to these seasons 
these things that you start thinking about some of the other things that aren't. Some of the things that are missing and, and it's harder to find joy in that moment. The, the apparent reality as we look around is that joy is everywhere, but the actual reality that I often feel is that joy is missing. Now, am I, am I alone in that feeling? Do you ever feel like joy is missing? Do you ever stand and sing the songs, joy to the world, externally, but internally you're like, there is no joy. This is not my season of joy. And I'm not asking you for the right answer. I'm not asking, is there joy? I'm asking you for your real answer. Do you feel like joy is often missing in your life? I do. There's various reasons. Is that how it's supposed to be? See, not according to Scripture. We just finished the Gospel of John as our previous series, and in John 16, 22, the, the second part of the verse, it says, your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 1 Peter 1.8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you feel like that perfectly sums up your Christmas season? That's me, rejoicing always, rejoicing without ceasing, a joy that is inexpressible. And, and I want to admit, maybe you are there. Praise God. I'm not. This week has been one where I have struggled with this. How many times I got home and I'm like telling my wife, I even said this in community group, I just feel like I'm hitting a wall. Where is the joy that I'm supposed to have? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Our time this morning is going to be a little different. Um, normally what we do is we, we choose a passage and we go through it uh, verse by verse. And generally that happens as we're going through a book of the Bible. But this morning, we're doing a survey. We're going to look at this topic of joy and see what is it that the Bible says, where, where should we be finding this? How should this work in our lives? Now, Billy talked about this last week. When we're talking about hope, joy, peace, and love, like the Bible doesn't talk about those much, right? Like he was joking about that. No, they're all over the place. This is not exhaustive. This is just that, that primer. This is just to get us going. Here's the questions we're going to be asking. What is joy? Where is joy found? Why is joy necessary? And how is joy lost? 
Let's start out here looking at this, what is joy? I find that, that often, especially in like church circles, there are certain Christian words we use all the time. And then when someone says, what is that? Oh, it, 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 it is what it is. That, that's what it is. And we, and we use the word to describe joy is being joyful. It's an abounding sense of joy and joyousness of what Christ has joyfully done for us, joyfully. You know, what, what is it? We, we experience these things with the gospel. Well, what is the gospel? Good news. Yes, and what, what is it? So when it comes to joy, what is joy? Here's some elements of joy. And first, I'm going to just explain this broadly. Broadly defined. I'm not limiting myself to scripture. I'm saying this is broadly, when we understand joy, this is what joy is. Joy is an emotional response based on a perceived positive reality. Super wordy. I'm going to say it again. Joy is an emotional response based on a perceived positive reality. Let's break that down. First thing, joy is an emotion. This is something that, that Christians often, uh, depending on where you grew up, what Christian circles you've walked in, um, emotion is not something we do well. And, and some of it comes from the point that we have seen emotion abused into emotionalism. It becomes something that is not healthy. I grew up in, in South America, and, and in the country where I grew up, one of the main churches, the popular church of my area, was all about emotionalism. There was no reason. It was manipulative. They used it, they used and they preyed on people's emotions for deceitful gain. That's wrong. We see people who have no reason of why are you full of these emotions, what truth are you standing on, and there is no foundation. That, too, is wrong. But to take the pendulum and swing all the way to the other side and say we will have no emotion, we will just be reason, is wrong as well. Why? Who gave us emotion? We didn't make this up. God gave us emotion. And one of the best emotions he gives us is joy. He wants us to have this. God gave us both a head and a heart. For us to be Christians who are like, nope, not going to be distracted by those things, those emotions that bring us down, no. God wants us. What does God say when he sees, this is my son in whom I am pleased? God talks about emotion all the time. And so we need to understand when we're talking about joy, this is an emotion. But it's an emotion with a reason. Look, what I said is that joy is an emotional response. Joy doesn't spontaneously thrust itself on people. Nobody is walking down the road and then struck with joy. That's not how that works. Something else is going on. There's always a reason for that joy. It's a response. 
All of the times when you come to Scripture and it talks about shout with joy, sing with joy, dance for joy, there's always a reason linked to it. What we say is joy is an emotional response based on a perceived positive reality. There's always a reason. And, and, and we are still defining this broadly. I say perceived positive reality because we're not talking about necessarily truth. We're talking about, though, that someone would say, this is a good thing. It is positive. Therefore, my emotions have responded to that. This is the common joy that is available to everyone. Everyone at one time or another experiences this type of joy because we still, even though this world has fallen, it was still created by God. There are still elements that reflect that first, how it was first intended. But these things are a shadow, not the substance. This common joy is not everything it's meant to be. We experience this common joy when, in times of gain. Maybe it's the joy when your team wins, when you open that perfect gift, or maybe you've given the perfect gift. It's the joy when a baby falls asleep in your arms. It's the joy of doing a job well done. Maybe it's the joy of the removal of something negative that narrowly escaped car accident. The cancer that goes into remission. The news that the surgery went okay. All of these evoke an emotional response to a perceived positive reality. But here's the question. What do all of them have in common? They're circumstantial. All of those are based on circumstances. Don't get me wrong. Circumstances can produce joy. The Bible even gives examples of this common joy. But are these the realities that will cause us to rejoice without ceasing? Are these the things that will cause our joy to never be taken away? No. Why not? Because what's the reality of circumstances? They change. They are fleeting and temporary. If our joy that we think that for me to be able to rejoice without ceasing, to always rejoice is based on these common joys, based on the circumstances that are positive, we are not going to have the joy that the Bible is talking about. But praise God, the joy he speaks of is far better and far greater. The joy he talks about is substance, not shadow. The joy he gives is foundational, not circumstantial. So what is joy biblically defined? Again, not exhaustive. We could spend a lot of time talking about this. But here's some things that we see. Here's one of the first things that we see, that joy is found in God's presence. First Chronicles 16.27, Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 21.6, for you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy 
of your presence. True joy, foundational joy, the joy that can cause us to rejoice always is found in God's presence. One of the other principles that we see, though, is that joy is also something that God promises as possible. God has given promises in the Old Testament that the joy that he has, the true joy, it's possible. Isaiah 12, 3 through 4 says, With joy you will draw from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. Isaiah 26, 19, your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise, you who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy, for your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. Now, the temptation, I think, right here is to jump past verses like these that are speaking about the promise, the possibility of joy, and say, yep, Stephen, I know that's in the Old Testament. I already know where this is going. Let's jump forward. Let's get to Jesus because that's obviously where you're headed. But let's just stop for a second when we consider these verses in light of the reality of humanity. The fact that God promises joy as possible is extremely unexpected. It's surprising. And you might be thinking, why would I be surprised that God would want me to have joy? Why wouldn't God want me to have joy? If he has joy to give, what would keep him from giving it to me? See, the problem with that question, though, is that it reveals a faulty view of ourselves. It assumes that our position before God is in the least neutral and possibly even positive. Why wouldn't God give me joy? Why wouldn't he do this? What, why would he hold that back from me? What have I done? Don't I deserve to be happy? Don't I deserve to experience joy? In a word, no. That might be surprising to you. (laughs) I'm sorry, what? You're saying I don't deserve to be happy? That goes in the face of everything our culture says. The mantra of our people, pursue your happiness. It's in our government documents, the pursuit of happiness. I deserve this. Who are you to tell me I don't get to be happy? I don't get joy. Someone can give it to me and they're not? Who do they think they are? Wrong question. Who do you think you are? Now, if that is uncomfortable, before you leave the room, you're not unique in that. I'm in the exact same position. Humanly speaking, I deserve nothing. 
See, my reality before God is not neutral, nor, and far less, it's not positive. My position before God is evil. Because of my actions, I stand condemned. That's who I am. That's why I don't deserve these things. Why? Because I rebelled. God's position is good. God's position is holy. God's position is perfect. But that's not my position. See, my position is that I sinned and turned against him. I turned away from him. As such, the the joy that is found in his presence is not available to me. I don't have a way of reaching his presence. So, in light of who I am, and in light of where joy is found in his presence, and in light of God's character of holiness, that he would be separate from sin, what is surprising about the promise that joy is possible? That it's offered. Because we don't deserve it. That takes us to the final principle. That it's only possible because it's something that he provides. It's found in his presence. It's possible because he has promised it. But it's possible more so because he also provides it. See, if we're thinking about this, just thinking through the logic, true joy is found in God's presence. Check. True joy is promised as possible by God. Check. Mankind is sinful and unable to enter the presence of our holy God. Check. Wait a second. Joy is found in his presence. God said it's possible. We can't get into his presence. Do you see the difficulty there? Do you see the tension? Do you see the problem of, wait a second, this is where joy is found. I've been told it's possible, but I can't get there. So now what? Where is joy found? Joy is found in the person of Jesus who blessed us with his presence in order to be our propitiation. Joy is found in the person of Jesus who blessed us with his presence in order to be our propitiation. This is the reason we talk about joy in Christmas because in the advent of Christ, in his first coming, God provided the means of joy. Turn with me to Luke chapters 1 and 2. See how much joy is found in these two chapters, in this first Christmas story. We're going to find joy because of the person and presence of Jesus. Look at Luke chapter 1. We'll start in verse 12. Zechariah in in Luke chapter 1 is going into the temple. He's old. He and his wife, they have not had children. And an angel appears to him. And this is what he says, looking at verse 12. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. For your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And look at this. 
and you will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth. Jump to verse 16. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Why should Zechariah have joy? It's not just because of a child, but because of what this child would do. This child would prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. What does this mean? It means that God has a plan for us. We couldn't go to him because of our sin. So he came to us because of his love. That truth, that reality should produce joy. Jump down to verse 39. Mary has already been told that she will conceive and the Holy Spirit has already come upon her. Jesus is already within her womb and Mary goes to see Elizabeth. Verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord." The first person that celebrates the coming of Jesus that we're told in the Gospel of Luke is an unborn baby. He leaps for joy. What is the cause of Elizabeth's joy? What is the cause of John leaping in the womb? It was the presence and the person of Jesus. He's here. Jesus. God himself is present. Emmanuel, God with us. Verse 46, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary is filled with joy. Mary rejoices in her Savior. Yes, even Mary needed a Savior. Mary goes on for several more verses, giving all the reasons for her joy. In this first Christmas, this Advent, the coming of Christ, what is the emotion we see over and over and over? Joy. Why? Because the person of God is present with us. Where is joy found? In the presence of God. Look at chapter 2, verse 8 through 11. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, 
For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. For whom do the angels announce joy? For all people. What reason do they give for this joy? The person and the presence of Christ the Lord. But there's something more they say. Just God's presence shouldn't produce joy in their lives. Remember, what is our reality? If we had the presence of God, the glory of God, what is the the first response of the shepherds? They're terrified. Are they foolish? Hey, come on, angels, glory of God. No, the glory of God should terrify them. Why? Because we are unworthy. We are unrighteous. We can't be in his presence. This should terrify us. Finding out that God is coming, what would we do if we were, let's say we still lived in a monarchy, and we rebel against the king, but we've kind of been doing our own thing. We feel like maybe the king's ignoring us. But then we find out, no, the king's coming, and all of you are guilty of treason. What would that produce in you? Fear. What did the angel say? We bring you good news. Don't be afraid. This is good news. This is news of joy for all people. Why? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. See, it's not just the presence of Jesus. It's not just the person of Jesus. It's also what he does. It's the propitiation of Jesus. Now that's a word. I'm not just using it because of alliteration. It's a good word. It's a word we don't often use, but it's a solid biblical word. What does it mean? It's the wrath-absorbing sacrifice. Again, what is our position? What is it that we deserve? We deserve the wrath. We don't deserve the joy. We deserve condemnation. We deserve these things. But what is it that allows us to have the joy that was promised? A wrath-absorbing sacrifice. What bridges the gap from here to here? What is it? It's the cross. See, the climax of the first Christmas is not just in his presence. The climax is in the cross. It's in the propitiation. It's what he came to do. This is what we have. We find joy in the person of Jesus who blessed us with his presence in order to be our propitiation. This is what Hebrews 2.14 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood. This is our condition. This is where we are because of that. He himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. 
Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If joy is an emotional response to a positive reality, there can be no greater joy, there can be no greater reality than this. It's the reality of the gospel. This is the good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Here's joy defined. Joy is the glad heart attitude of the believer who reflects on the reality of the gospel. If joy is a response to a reality, a good reality, there can be no greater reality than the good news of the gospel. Joy is the glad heart attitude of the believer who reflects on the reality of the gospel. Where is the joy? It's right here. There's nothing greater than this. There's no greater gift given and there's no greater punishment removed than this. If you have placed your faith in Christ alone, this is the reality of what you have received. And what should that reality produce? What should our response be to that truth? Joy, inexpressible joy, joy that causes us to rejoice always, joy that makes us rejoice and rejoice again, joy that is never taken away. And that's what God provided. He provided it in the person of Jesus. He provided it in the presence of Jesus. He provided it in the propitiation of Jesus. But why? Because we need it. We need this joy. God promised us joy. He did not promise us ease. This journey that we are on, even though it is a journey that can be a journey of joy, it is not a journey of ease. God promised. Jesus said, this is going to be hard. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be hated for my name. People are going to do terrible things. You still live in a fallen world. All of these things are the reality that we will face. And yet, that reality is nothing compared to the greater reality. This is the joy that we have that goes beyond circumstances. This is the joy that sustains us. It is the joy that causes us to persevere. This is what 1 Peter says in chapter 1, verses 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's all the reality we have in the gospel. It's a, an incredible statement. This is what God has done. That's real. 
What's our response? Verse 6. In this you rejoice. In this reality you rejoice. Why? Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have seen him, not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Look at the pattern that Peter is giving. This is the truth that you have. It is the greatest reality. This is what God has done. This is what he has provided. This is your response. Joy. This is why it's necessary. Because you're going to go through trials. And you need perseverance. You need to continue. Joy isn't pretending that the hard things never happened. Joy is realizing that even in light of those things, they are powerless to diminish, even in the slightest, the majesty of the gospel. It doesn't matter what you have gone through. It doesn't matter what you are going through. It doesn't matter what you will go through. None of it compares to the majesty of what Christ did, what Christ is doing, and what Christ will do. I'm not saying it doesn't matter in the sense that it's not important. It is important. It's hard. I'm saying it doesn't matter in the sense that it can't diminish the power of what God has done, is doing, and will do. That truth should produce great joy, not because we are pretending everything is easy, but because we know of a greater reality. But here's the other truth. Even choosing joy is beyond our capacity. This isn't something you can just make yourself do. This isn't something where you can just flip a switch and say, fine, I'm going to choose joy from now on. We still, even in this, need the power of Christ. This is what Jesus said in John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The power of Jesus is not just for our salvation, it's also for our sanctification. We don't just trust Jesus to save us and then say, I've got it from here. We trust Jesus to save us and then we trust him also to sanctify us. Without him, we can do nothing. But then what does Jesus say at the end of that? After he told them that you need to abide in me, that you need to be in my presence. Why does he say that? Well, because of verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Because you're going to need it. You're going to need joy to get through this journey. You're going to need this to endure. But you can't do it on your own. You can't do this without me. But I've provided it. Abide in me so your joy may be full. There's no better example of one who persevered and endured trial because of joy than Christ. Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? 
looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He's our example. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against him so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And how did he do that? He looked at the joy. For the joy that was set before him. What must we do? We must consider him. We must follow his example. We must abide in him so that our joy may be full. Now, all of that, everything we've talked about, that's true. We have joy in the presence, in the person, in the propitiation of Jesus. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, that is your reality. But I'm, I'm going to venture a guess here. If you're looking and just giving, looking at this message and saying, what was new this morning? I'm going to guess probably not much. I think most of what you've heard this morning is stuff that you already knew. You know about all of this. You know where to find joy. You know joy is found in Jesus. You know it's in his person and in his presence. You know it's because of his propitiation. So why is joy still so hard to hold on to? Why is joy still so easy to lose? How is it that my joy is lost? If all of this is true, why is it often missing? I want to share three common reasons that I think we lose joy. There's many other reasons, but these are, the three, are three of the reasons that I think really oftentimes hit closest to home. Before applying it to joy, I, I want to illustrate these three problems. So imagine real quick for me, okay, that you, in your entire life, in your entire existence, you have only ever known the night. You have never been awake during the day. You are totally nocturnal. For you, what is the greatest source of light in the sky? The moon. That's the thing. That's where you're looking for light. That is what you have put your hope on. That is what gives you what you need in order to do what you need to do. Now, is the moon really the source of light? No. The, the moon has no light in it. How does the moon get its light? From the sun. But you don't know that because your perspective is one that is limited. The only thing that you see that produces light is that what you've experienced. That's a problem of perspective. But then let's say one morning, you wake up and you see the light, literally. You wake up during the day. You come out and you see the sun. It's the first time. And people had, you've heard a few people, most people are all people of the night, but you've heard of some people talk about this sun and you're like, wow, it is brighter out here. But one of the things that people had always said was, oh, the sun is so much better than the moon. You need to come to the day. This is far beyond what you could ever imagine. But it just so happens that this morning is one of those mornings where the sun and the moon are up at the same time. 
and you're looking at them, and you're like, I look about the same size to me. They're about both a thumbnail. What gives up? What, what, what gives that? I mean, people were saying it was all this great thing. It was so much greater, but I'm looking at them, and I'm like, okay, a little brighter, but as far as that, other than that, pretty similar. That's a problem of proximity. Because the reality is the sun is like 400 times bigger than the moon, but it happens that the moon is also 400 times closer than the sun. And so in that, you can look and think, I don't know. I'm not sure it's that big of a deal. I'm not sure I really see that much of a difference. Maybe I'll do both. I I can kind of use both as a source for me. But then let's say later on during that day, you start seeing that the moon starts creeping closer and closer to the sun. And it starts getting darker. Eventually, it's total darkness. That's a problem of position. And you're looking and you're saying, some sun, listen, the moon isn't always consistent in giving light. It kind of goes, it's cyclical. But at least when it's there, it doesn't go out. I mean, what kind of sun is this that, that all these other things can just rob it of all of its light? It's a problem of position. Has the sun lost any of its light? Has any of the brightness gone down? Has its power diminished in the least? No. Has something else come in front of it? Now, probably most of you have already guessed where all of this is going, but let's do it anyways. When it comes to perspective, we are children of darkness. What joy have we known in our life? Common joy. It's the only joy we've known. It's the joy of good things or the joy, the removal of bad things. That's what we've looked to for our joy. But there's a perspective problem. That's not really the source of joy. The true source of joy of even these common things that give us joy is still the same. It's God. And yet all we have known is this one thing. The problem then for us is that we, even after placing our faith in Jesus, we go back to that. We think, man, I just remember all the joy, all that light that I was given in the dead of night. That's what's going to produce joy for me. Our perspective is wrong. That's not the thing that's truly producing joy. You need to stop looking at that because you're missing out on a greater source, on the true source. How often are we distracted away from the true source of joy because we're looking for minimal, menial joy? How often are we blinded because we're only trying to look with the light that is provided from the moon? It's lunacy, pun intended. No, we need to turn our perspective from that and say, no, this is the true joy. But then we come to that other problem. It's the problem of proximity. Did God say that this was going to be hard? Yeah. Nothing can compare to the glory of the joy we find in Jesus. That's what Romans 8 talks about. But what's our problem? Our problems are so much closer. The thing that I'm facing is right here in front of me. And when things are right up close and personal, what do they seem? So much bigger. When we're facing different problems, that the proximity of the problem can seem so much greater than that joy that is there. 
but it's an illusion. The light of the sun, the risen sun, far surpasses anything else. And so when we're in this moment, you need to realize, wait a second, as big as this seems, and I'm not saying it's not big, I'm not saying it's not hard, but you need to realize this is nothing compared to what is coming. I consider these present trials nothing compared to the future glory. Nothing compared to what Christ has revealed. Don't fall for the illusion of proximity. Keep your focus. But then this is the next problem. When things seem so big and so there, it's so easy for their position to get in a different place. Can anything take away the light from the sun? No. And yet, can we still be found in darkness? Yeah. And usually that's not something sudden. Uh, sometimes it is. Sometimes something really big happens and all of a sudden it just feels like darkness. But usually it's the slow entrance of all these other things that come into the wrong position. What do we need to do? We need to daily reflect on the reality of the gospel. Daily we need to come back and say, this is what true is true. The gospel is not just for salvation. It's for sanctification. Daily I need to come and say, what is my source of joy? It's what Christ has done. It is what he has revealed. It is what I know to be true. Drowning in the sea of the unknown is terrifying. Standing on the shore of our hope, peace, Joy and love is wonderful. But it must be daily something that we're going for. Daily. What is the truth of the gospel? See, when we have our perspective right, when we have things, understanding the illusion of proximity, when we understand the position, it makes joy that much easier. This last week was... Um, a hard anniversary for my family. So uh, four years ago, uh, many of you were part of the story, but not everyone. Um, not all of you were here. So four years ago, uh, my wife and I were pursuing uh, the adoption of my niece in Brazil. Uh, and for various reasons, my sister was unable to care for her. And so uh, my parents were taking full-time care of her. And that wasn't something that they could continue doing. And so my wife and I were pursuing that, and many of you helped in finances and, and praying and doing all of those things. And we were, with eager anticipation, looking forward to bringing her home. And then November 29th came, and she died. And it was a season that was so dark, that could have been so overwhelming, because this was something that we were looking to to produce joy. This was something that we were, were, were thinking it was, it was going to do that. And then the proximity of it seemed so huge in the reality of her death. And we flew down to Brazil and, and got there just in time where we got off the plane, drove to the, the church and did the funeral right then and there. And walking in and seeing a casket that was this big was overwhelming. And yet in that... We have never experienced a Christmas with more joy because the darkness of that caused us to reflect on a greater reality. 
I'm not saying that the things that you're facing are not hard, but I'm saying that in the right place, in the right position, with the right perspective, that these, even these hard things can serve to point us to a greater joy. Why? Because nothing is greater than the reality of the gospel. Nothing is greater than that which God has promised. Nothing is greater than that what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. So is your life full of joy? It can be. But it's not just going to happen. It's going to happen as we respond emotionally to what's true. It's going to happen when we reflect on that. The gospel is true. It's never become less true in your life, and yet we get distracted and we stop reflecting, and so our joy is lost. Don't lose your joy. Rejoice always. Rejoice and rejoice again. No one will take your joy. Rejoice with joy that is inexpressible because nothing can diminish this. Joy is found in the person of Jesus who blessed us with his presence in order to be our propitiation. Joy is the glad heart attitude of the believer who reflects on the reality of the gospel. God, we are overwhelmed by the fact that even joy is possible for us because it's not what we deserve. But Lord, because of the person of Jesus, because of the presence of Jesus, because of the work of Jesus in, in our propitiation, Lord, we can have joy. And so, Lord, I pray that we would not be distracted by these other things. Lord, I pray that we would always rejoice in the risen sun. Sorrow may last for the night, but joy is coming in the morning. Lord, we have a joy that can be is untarnished, undiminished, if we keep our focus on you. We praise you. We thank you. We pray that you would hold us fast. We pray all of this in your name. In the name of Jesus, amen.